0: Welcome back to Rips, Reps, and Revelations. I'm your host, Lynn Ruthless.
1: And I'm co-host and producer, Blue the Barbarian. This episode, we're going to be giving you an overview of mental health and the most commonly diagnosed mental illnesses.
0: Before we get into that, just a quick disclaimer, we will be exploring sensitive topics in today's discussion. If you are experiencing a crisis, we urge you to seek professional help. We are not here to provide any form of professional services, and all views stated are personal and/or backed by independent research. If you need help finding professional services, you can visit the resources section of our website for links and contact information.
1: Speaking of contact information, at the end, I'll give you some more ways to get in touch with us and other platforms to listen to us on.
0: Awesome. So, jumping right into our discussion for today, um, as you guys know, our first episode, our last episode, was wellness 101 where we kind of went over what wellness means to us individually um how do you define wellness how the dictionary defines wellness and uh you know now we're gonna kind of start branching off of wellness into the other aspects of it and for me i think one of the most important ones is mental health
1: yeah mental health is definitely a big one i mean your brain controls everything you do so i mean if your brain isn't going to be functioning well and treating you well. I mean, nothing else in your life is going to really go your way. Or at least it'll feel like it won't.
0: So one in five adults is diagnosed with a mental illness. One in five. Like, if you really think about that number, if you're in a room with five people, statistically one of you has a diagnosed mental illness. That doesn't account for the four other people who have undiagnosed mental illnesses.
1: <laughs> right, so um, you want to talk about People who are undiagnosed, does that mean, I mean, you would think they're normal, um, but there really is no normal. Right. If you think about it. It doesn't exist. Yeah, everybody's a little crazy.
0: I mean, <laughs> I don't know why you gave me crazy eyes when you said that, but okay.
1: <laughs> well, just an example.
0: Yeah. I mean, as again, the one in five is the diagnosed number, and there are plenty of people living in, in fear of getting treatment, in fear of, of having a diagnosis on the record for the rest of their lives and, you know, all the things that come after getting treatment because it's not something you can, in my experience, do quietly. It's not like you can do it on your own. And, and, and when you start bringing other people into it, you know, emotions get high. Feelings are mixed. People don't always want to acknowledge their part in your mental health issues.
1: Right. And they probably don't understand what the impacts are that they have on you or that you have on them. Because a lot, I mean, even a lot of times I feel like most people don't even understand their own mental health.
0: Right. Most people, honestly, I feel like a lot of people can't even acknowledge that they have mental health issues.
1: Yeah. It's like going for a screening for a disease. I mean, you can't treat what you don't know you have.
0: Right. And, and I think the other big piece of that is, like I had already kind of said that, you know, there are a whole group of people who are just simply afraid and and know they have something wrong, know that they are are dealing with something that maybe isn't quite right, but they just don't want to have that diagnosis on their record for the rest of their life. You know, that does follow you.
1: Right. I mean, there could be a slew of reasons you don't want to be diagnosed.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, speaking of barriers, as we were developing this episode, we decided that we're actually going to do a whole separate episode on barriers to treatment. So that'll come further down the line. There's a plug for you guys. Keep listening. (laughs) (laughs) So outside of the one in five adults, I also found it very interesting that um, one in six of the United States youth ages six to 17 experiences a mental health issue every single year.
1: So that includes being diagnosed and going to seek treatment? Yeah. um, I don't know what
0: level of treatment necessarily, but there's there's at least a, a basic
1: diagnosis. Well, that makes me wonder because it is less than the adults, is that because... Barely. It, yeah. I mean, but I mean, it is statistically insignificant. It's significant uh, yeah. difference that it's less. And I wonder if that's because it's just going undetected or it's because they haven't developed those problems yet or a combination of both.
0: I don't no, a combination of both. But I also think that when you're a kid, you know, I can't tell you how many times growing up I heard the term growing pains from my mother. So it was kind of like, yeah, but it was kind of like, okay. Um, I just remember this specific situation where I actually had like an issue and I was actually in pain. It was just growing pains. You'll be fine. Like, no, I was having a problem. Right. And I ended up having to go to a doctor and there was like a whole thing behind it. But you know, it's, it's kind of one of those things that like, Oh, this is not just you being a child and not knowing and being dramatic and you know, whatever.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. So
0: that could be a piece of it. And, and I also think it, the point we're at in this day and age, it's really hard for parents to understand when it comes to their children just how everything around them and in their environment and school and everything is like affecting their mental health currently. Like, you know, we didn't really grow up in a pandemic like they are right now.
1: I can't imagine the impact that this uh, whole situation is going to have on the youth, um, especially people like that are just going into school. And because they're yeah. there, those are some of the first memories, really uh, significant. Yeah. uh, Core memories. Is that from? (laughs) Really? Referencing Inside Out right now? Inside Out. Great movie.
0: So, fantastic movie. Speaking of mental health, if you've never seen it, I recommend it for everybody.
1: It's got some great imagery. It's a wonderful movie. Good characters.
0: Just the whole thing.
1: So, the memories and experiences the children are going through now are going to shape their mental health for the rest of their lives or contribute to be contributing factors of.
0: No, I think you, you definitely picked the right word with shape their mental health um, because really everything you experience as a child is what builds you as an adult. And I mean, you'd get into a massive conversation about those issues, but right this second, we're not going to go down that road. Um, but you know, the other interesting thing I actually had found when I was briefly, and I mean very briefly, looking into mental health that came up was 50% of all lifetime mental illnesses begin by the age of 14. That's pretty young. So think about it. By the age of 14, like a lot of what you've already experienced and and have seen, and, and you probably don't even know at that point that it's shaping you as an adult in terms of your mental health, which then affects everything else in your life, it, it's already kind of ingrained by your by the age of 14 years old.
1: And that will manifest itself as outward symptoms and things that affect how you function
0: yes and and as you get older, that kind of changes too like those symptoms may develop differently and and you know present differently from time you're fourteen to the time you're like twenty four so
1: so you're saying as you age, different uh symptoms are gonna just start infecting you more or less, or
0: yeah I mean they can manifest differently as you get older I mean some things you learn to you know, like stuff down and tuck away, and that could come out in other ways.
1: Which usually does. <laughs>
0: yeah, almost always.
1: It's a bad coping mechanism.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, honestly, I feel that we are essentially ingrained from childhood to develop bad coping skills because we're not necessarily taught the right ways to do it.
1: And how, yeah, you know, teaching how to do things, it's um, parenting. I feel like it's a parent's job to prepare a child in every way in their life, including mental health and generations before us, uh, haven't been given the tools to do so. I feel like,
0: I mean, that's so true. I mean, honestly, it doesn't even matter what aspect of life you're talking about. It is your parents' job to develop you and, and to help you learn and, no, I think is I've gotten older, I'll speak for myself, that looking back, there are a lot of things that I feel like could have and should have been done differently. Yeah. Sorry, Mom, if you're listening.
1: No, I feel like... And don't apologize. Every parent, every <laughs> parent's made mistakes. Um, oh, I know, every, and she 100%. knows she has. And
0: that's oh. the one thing I will say about my mother is that my relationship with my mother as an adult has only grown stronger and we've grown closer in the fact that like, I can reflect with her some things that I've learned in my own therapy process and she's receptive to it and she understands. And, you know, I don't think it's necessary for her to apologize, but she does. And she is, you know, she has always accepted me and my siblings, you know, all of her very terribly behaved children <laughs> for who we are. And, and honestly, I feel like that's what kind of keeps us coming back to her as a parent is because she's never judged us for who we are as people.
1: Yeah, and the amount I know about her now, she's always, she is actually trying to learn constantly about her, uh, herself and uh, and that stuff too.
0: Absolutely, I mean, don't get me wrong; she's wild as shit, but she's she's one of the best out there, in my opinion. Facts. So,
1: <laughs> plug um, to my mama.
0: <laughs> um, but you know, I really kind of wanted to touch on the the various mental health diagnoses that there are. Um. And the one that is most commonly actually diagnosed is anxiety, which I was kind of back and forth about because being that I work in the substance abuse field, um, it's it's very interesting because it almost feels like when you get a client and, you know, we, of course, always refer them for mental health treatment because, I mean, substance abuse alone is a traumatic thing, especially like prolonged use and the things that end up happening within your substance abuse which again, something we'll get into in a later discussion, but, um, you know, you end up getting like their, their paperwork back and in, in the client's documentation and you find that their dose, their, are diagnosed, excuse me, with, um, anxiety and depression. It's always like right on top. And I don't want to take away from the fact that these are real things cause they are, but it, it almost kind of goes back to the whole diagnosis thing and why people sometimes don't seek it out because they're like, Oh, it's just, you know, I have anxiety. It's just generic. Like it's not anxiety as a diagnosis is very different than experiencing anxiety.
1: It's, it's also, um, useful really only as a a clinical tool, right?
0: It's literally only for coding. And that's the thing when I have people say to me like, well, you know, I just, I I don't want to have this on my record the rest of my life. I don't want, you know, I don't want everybody knowing. I don't want my insurance knowing. The literal only reason you have a diagnosis is because of your insurance. That is the only way that the mental health provider can bill for their services. They have to attach a code to it.
1: Right. It's just a system. Your your mental health isn't going to fit in a box. No. And be, you know, labeled like never. that, really.
0: Literally never. And I think that's, that's at fault of a lot of people. And I think that's kind of the taboo of society when mental health is concerned because... They try to put it in a box and they try to like tuck it away so that it's not like in your face. And, you know, I think that has changed generationally. You know, I
1: think that slowly improving.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, people aren't younger people aren't as ashamed to admit that they have mental health disorder. Shit. I just sat here and told you all about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yay for me, I guess. Right. But um I mean, anxiety, there are different forms of anxiety. There's generalized anxiety, there's panic disorder, there's social anxiety. I mean, phobias can even fit in the, qu- the category of anxiety. Um, but the important thing to remember is that an actual anxiety diagnosis is not just, you know, in the moment, if you're stressed out or if you're running late to work, if you almost got in a car accident, like those are very different momentary situational things. Somebody who lives with anxiety is constantly dealing with this strong irrational fear
1: Right, yeah, it doesn't have to. That's something that when I hear people talk about anxiety that don't know what anxiety really is, is that they always ask the question, "Well, what are you so anxious about?" Yeah, it's not the
0: same thing. It doesn't work that way. No, it's
1: not the same thing. They are. They have anxiety. Right. I I mean, (laughs) they're not experiencing anxiety like in a moment. Right. They live with that. That's their that's their condition.
0: It's their constant. It's a constant state of of fear and, and a lot of times people living with anxiety know that it's irrational which kind of heightens right. all of those symptoms
1: so fr- it becomes frustrating and, yeah. and more and more debilitating absolutely horrible cycle
0: something I did find very interesting about most of the diagnosis that we're going to just touch on today is that a lot of them the causes listed and all this information you guys will be able to find on our website um, but all of the causes that were listed I think in like 90% of them, genetics, was a cause, <laughs> which so kind of sucks.
1: <laughs> yeah, you inherit, you know, your mother's eyes, your, your grandpa's ears, and your father's depression.
0: And your mom's bipolar disorder. Right. That's a winning fucking combo there. <laughs> um, And also environment. Gen- cause, you know, the causes of genetics and environment were very prevalent in most of, of the things we're going to cover. And... I just found that so interesting because, again, it really does go back to your childhood. It, it all kind of makes sense.
1: Yeah. It's, uh, well, it's how your existence and experiences are shaped through the perspective of your past existence and your experiences.
0: I mean, in a weird way, it kind of made me go down like this rabbit hole in my head of like before people have kids, they really need to go and like get their mental health address so that they know like what shitstorm they're posing upon their children.
1: Yeah, I mean that's kind of what I alluded to before when I said we don't uh, we don't have the tools and I mean if you don't seek them out even at this point if you don't seek out ways to deal with mental health issues, you're not they're not just going to come find you. It's not going to be like um
0: oh no, they'll come find you but in really negative, terrible ways when you're becoming an adult and the consequences are much worse.
1: Right. But I mean to prevent and mitigate the symptoms, you, it's kind of an active task.
0: I mean, yeah, your mental health really does need to be an active task, though.
1: Yeah, that's kind of the definition of wellness. I was just going (laughs) to say that.
0: The definition of wellness is that you have to pursue it.
1: Right, continuously.
0: Yeah. You know, sad to say, unfortunately, that, you know, your mental health will never just take care of itself and it never gets fixed on its own.
1: No, yeah, that's what I meant.
0: Well, that's kind of the basic of anxiety. But moving on to depression, again, this is another one that I feel like pops up on a lot of things, but is also not entirely understood. There are different forms of depression. There's seasonal depression, PPD, which is postpartum depression, which you and I had briefly talked about the other day. Um, It's just one of those weird things that some people still believe that postpartum depression doesn't exist.
1: I don't understand how.
0: Uh, It doesn't make sense to me. It's like the dumbest thought process you could have. Right. It's really disrespectful too, and I just read. And I'll, I'll link the stat on the website that um, one of the highest leading causes of death for new mothers is actually suicide because of postpartum depression.
1: That's incredible, that's and people terrible. say terrible. And people say it doesn't exist.
0: That's terrible. That's sad. That's it's disrespectful to that community of new mothers for people to think that that's not a real thing.
1: Right, and that's yeah, that's just one kind of depression. Yeah, um, and just like anxiety, depression. As a diagnosis is more so a tool for treatment. Every diagnosis
0: is a tool for treatment. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, I'm just trying to say that it doesn't it doesn't define you. It doesn't of um, fit into a cat make you fit into a like this category of F's failures. Oh. Um, <laughs> uh,
0: no, I mean, no mental health has anything to do with failure.
1: Right. And you didn't fail yourself. You didn't fail anybody. Like like we said, it's even genetic.
0: Most of these disorders are are partially it's at some point the causes genetics.
1: Yeah, you're just predisposed. Your brain is wired a certain way. Unfortunately.
0: Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so causes for depression: trauma, genetics, life circumstances, medical conditions, substance use. There there's so many with this one because. So wait, a are you telling me things can trigger it?
1: That if you so- uh abuse substances you're not actually fixing your problems
0: it's crazy right <laughs> wild so <laughs> well no and and the kind of standing statement in my line of work is that your substance abuse is um a symptom of the problem
1: a symptom yes. of your mental illness it,
0: of the problem
1: oh of the problem yes okay
0: Meaning substance abuse in in and of itself is not the problem. It is a symptom of the bigger problem.
1: Which then continues to cause and make worse the bigger problem. Of course. Yeah.
0: But again, terrible coping skills.
1: Yeah. All
0: right. So moving on. um, We already covered anxiety, depression. Moving on to ADHD. It's most commonly diagnosed in youth, which I think makes a lot of sense.
1: Right. Um, There was just a huge thing. I remember growing up that... It was just overdiagnosed. Everybody has ADHD, even though it doesn't exist. It's just a lack of discipline. They just have too much energy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, All those lines. Yep. Um, And it is tough because I do feel like there are cases of that. But there are. Still
0: goes back to parenting, but yes.
1: Right. ADHD. There are factors. There are. Contributing factors such as the way your brain works is actually different. Mm-hmm. Physically, yeah. your brain structure is different in someone with ADHD than a neurotypical brain. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's one of my favorites that there's um this iceberg of each of these mental illnesses where uh, you uh, you see what's on the surface, what this person is, ten percent, 10%. yeah, ten yeah. percent of what you see, and the other rest of the ninety percent is what they're going through.
0: Right. internally right it is a very interesting thing and and you know adhd is no exception to that rule in my opinion because with a lot of mental illness you don't necessarily see it it's it's not presenting the way you think it would in people like a lot of people assume somebody with depression is just going to sleep all day and not shower and all that kind of stuff and that's not how it necessarily presents in everybody
1: right yeah just like uh well, I'm going back to ADHD because it's my favorite because I, I haven't been diagnosed with it, but I'm convinced I have it, <laughs> which is not a good idea. Do
0: like, not self-diagnose. <laughs> Can we please? I'm not
1: advocating that. I'm working on it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, everybody thinks, you know, it's fidgeting and uh, you can't focus. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's actually not true. It's like um, one of my favorite analogies came from a TED talk. I don't remember the name of the person who did it, but she said that AD- ADHD brain is like sitting there watching TV but you don't have control of the, what channel you're watching, mm. um, so you could be stuck on the same channel for hours, days, weeks, and then all of a sudden you'll just start flipping for no reason, and you mm. have no, you know, control of that. Sometimes, um, but one of the uh, symptoms under the iceberg that actually blew my mind was um, like failure to recall common words. Mm. Um, so, yeah. as like when I'm talking, <laughs> I definitely struggle to find the words I'm trying to say. Even Frequently. though in your
0: head you know exactly what you want to say. Yeah,
1: I know. I know very articulately in my brain. It's mm-hmm. just going too fast, you know, and and too all over the place to really place. Yeah. What I'm trying to do. It's very true. So that one stuck with me, and there's all those symptoms for that that I experience, other people have under the surface of what you see in their daily lives.
0: Yeah. Crazy. It's really crazy to think about that. You know, mental health is is way deeper than people actually want to acknowledge, not even realize. I think at some level everyone kind of understands it, but, like, the acknowledgement piece of it just isn't there. Okay, so moving on into PTSD, um, it's not really much to, like, necessarily get into on this topic, just that, you know, PTSD stands for post-traumatic stress disorder, and it already says it in its name, but, you know, most of diagnosed PTSD is based on trauma, experiences with trauma, multiple different times of trauma. Um, and, you know, PTSD, one thing I did find very interesting about a webinar I took was that PTSD it can be reoccurring in the sense that, like, re-traumatizing.
1: So what do you mean by that?
0: So if you experience an original trauma, you can actually continue to be re-traumatized by your environment, by certain situations you went through. Like, if as a kid you were ignored or you were not necessarily considered, if you are then going into a medical provider's office and you have to sit there and wait for an hour, that could essentially trigger a re-traumatization event.
1: So it's almost like the opposite of, like, exposure therapy?
0: Kind of, yeah. Because it's not being done in a controlled, monitored environment.
1: Mm. I actually didn't know that.
0: I mean, that's a very, very, very loose example, but it's it's still, it's, it's a form of re-traumatization. So uh, another commonly diagnosed mental health disorder is OCD, and this one kind of irritates me just for the very simple fact that, like, how many times do you hear somebody who, like, has a very specific way of doing something, oh, my God, I'm, o- I'm so OCD. Like, you're not.
1: I'm OCD about folding my socks a certain way.
0: But But you're not. So, like... <laughs> OCD is, is really coming down to like a compulsion, but to the point where it's interfering in your functioning in everyday life. Like you can't do, like you can't function. You can't do many things without having to do this compulsive behavior.
1: So not to stray too far off that subject, but would you say that applies to a lot of the um, diagnoses, diagnoses, <laughs> whichever word is correct, um, that uh, it affects your daily functioning?
0: Yes. Yes, okay. any, any form really of any mental health diagnosis you're going to have, a piece that's always attached to it is that it affects your everyday life, your daily activities, all of it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, OCD again, it irritates me hearing people use it as a caveat for their shitty personalities. Right. So. It's, it's a quirk. Yeah. <laughs> loose loose term, but okay. Um, another one is disassociative disorders. It's more than just like zoning out for a second, a dissociative disorder is disconnecting from reality. Like a true disconnection though, not just like you're spacing out, you're not thinking the moment, or you're super bored and your eyes are glazed over by somebody talking like me. Um, It's more of a detachment of emotion and lack of self-identity. Like it's, it's a very deeper thing.
1: So it sounds almost like you're in like a conscious coma.
0: That's a very interesting way to describe it, but.
1: Just like I've never. Somewhat,
0: but the level of consciousness isn't even there either, though, to a certain extent.
1: Mm. So, on those episodes, do these people sometimes uh, forget that, like, what they were doing during that time or where they were?
0: I don't know about forget, but I think that there are a lot of lack of connections to what was happening when they had a dissociative, like, moment. That makes sense. Um, Major cause of dissociative disorder is trauma. Like,. Again, some other diagnosis on here. Um, You also have eating disorders, which are very common amongst men and women, more so women. They're more diagnosed in women, I should say. Again, there's a stigma around men specifically getting treatment for that kind of thing. Um, There are also different kinds of eating disorders, anorexia, bulimia, and binge eating disorder, also known as BED, BED, which, again, is also partially genetic. It's your environment. But there's also other things that go into eating disorders such as like peer pressure, social factors, diet culture Hmm. is really a big piece of that. Um, And we'll actually be touching on eating disorder in later episodes when we talk about physical health and nutrition and go through all of that.
1: Yeah, even we might have enough to go on and make a whole episode about it.
0: It's very possible. Um, So other mental health disorders that are kind of, I don't want to say frequently diagnosed because as we're getting further out now, we're getting to like necessarily like less common is um, borderline personality disorder. Again, also genetics have a big issue, big cause there, along with environmental factors and neurological issues. Which is again, and borderline personality disorder and bipolar are not the same thing. And people often confuse those two things.
1: Yeah, yeah, I still get them confused myself.
0: Well- Bipolar disorder is very much so characterized by mood disorder, like manic and depressive episodes. Specifically? Yes, very, very specifically. Okay. So, like, you have somebody who swings between a very manic phase and a very depressive phase, and they're very dramatic in nature.
1: Right, so, high, like, high highs and low lows. Yes. Yeah. Can they, they do vary in intensity between individual, individuals, generally, right? I mean, they're not going to... Uh, Manic episode from one person might look a little different to a manic episode in a different person?
0: Absolutely. And I feel like that's a part of why people kind of struggle to understand that and understand the difference. But, again, genetics are a huge factor with bipolar disorder. And, I mean, I myself have, you know, my sister was bipolar. And she was a very big, in my opinion, shining example of those swinging between manic and depressive states. Mm -hmm. And... It's hard to keep up. It's hard to keep up, and it's hard to understand how to help somebody in that moment.
1: Yeah, sometimes there's not much you can do.
0: No, it's almost kind of like having to ride the wave with them, but you also don't necessarily want to be a part of it.
1: Right, yeah. and um, Just to understand that it's not really who they are.
0: Right, and that almost makes it a little more difficult because... The behavior is the behavior, whether you're in a manic episode or a depressive episode. So, it's kind of hard to separate the mental health from the person in those moments. Oh, for sure. Because I mean, I mean, you knew my sister, so it was always kind of hard to stay with her on that ride, if you will. And you know, she did pass away almost three years ago now. But uh, her bipolar disorder actually had a lot to do with her passing and, and everything that led to it, and her unhealthy choices and coping skills that came as a result of her mental health issues.
1: Right. And unfortunately that's not an atypical story for someone like that.
0: No, it's it's, sadly, it's very common. And I think the worst part about it is she did make an effort to get help on more than one occasion, but there also has to be an awareness of what that help looks like from a counselor therapist relation or a client therapist relationship. Because, you know, my sister had this tendency to have unhealthy attachments with people. And a piece of that was one of her therapists. And I remember her saying to me, like, oh, he's he's like the father to me. And I'm like, well, all I can think about is that's not good.
1: Yeah, that's a flag.
0: That but- is not a good thing. You right. should not have that, that level of view of your therapist.
1: Yeah, it should almost be, I don't want to say robotic, but just... Very, a um, boundary. Yeah, that's to be a solid boundary there.
0: And you know, well, again, you knew my sister. Boundaries were never her thing. No. But speaking of bipolar disorder, there are actually several different types of bipolar disorder. Um, And again, this information will be on the website. Uh, there's bipolar 1, bipolar 2, and bipolar unspecified. There are different criteria to meet those things. So, And I think, personally, those things are actually worth researching. So, mm. again, I will say, like, definitely go and look at the information we're going to have on the website for you guys.
1: I'm learning with you guys real time here. I didn't know that either. <laughs> well,
0: again, firsthand experience. Now we're getting into like the heavier ones a little bit. Not that obviously bipolar isn't heavy, but um, you have psychosis, which is disruption in thought and can't recognize what is real or fake in like an everyday moment or situation. To me, the way I kind of understood it, it was almost like you are like you wake up from having a nightmare or a dream. And in that split second, you're not really sure if what was happening is real or not. Jeez. But that's like real time. Like while you're awake in the moment in the day.
1: You don't know if you're dreaming or awake.
0: Yeah. So I tried to like mentally put myself in that mind frame and it was a terrible. Yeah. Terrible situation.
1: Couldn't imagine that, honestly. I, I...
0: I mean, and that you know, obviously, is coupled with hallucinations and delusionation, delusions, like, yay, and hallucinations. Getting late here, so um, causes for psychosis again: genetics, shocker, trauma, substance use. Specifically, though, hallucinogens.
1: They can lead to like a-
0: They can cause episodes of psychosis. Okay. So I th- found that very interesting, but um. Moving further and deeper, actually, into the last two we're going to cover for today is schizoaffective disorder,
1: Hmm.
0: which is not the same as schizophrenia.
1: I was just about to ask that.
0: It is not the same as schizophrenia. And how many times do you hear somebody call, oh, you're just a schizo, You're just crazy?
1: Right.
0: Not the same thing. They're two different things. Um, They're very close. I will say that. They are very similar. But the thing with um, schizophrenia is that... It arguably is is more serious of the two if you're comparing them, but the mood disorder is not as prevalent with schizophrenia as it is schizoaffective disorder. So schizoaffective disorder, there are highs and lows, almost like being bipolar with the mannequin depressive states, which is not necessarily present with schizophrenia. So what? Uh, so you
1: said there's mood. Disorder, Mood disorder that's associated with schizophrenia?
0: Schizoaffective disorder.
1: Okay, so the mood disorder is associated with a schizoaffective disorder. Yes. But not schizophrenia.
0: Right, it's not prevalent with schizophrenia, whereas in order to diagnose someone as schizoaffective, the mood disorder has to be present.
1: Right, so what would make schizophrenia worse then?
0: It's a more deeper disconnect with reality. Okay. Not that... We're not kind of exploring how all of these things in a way are disconnected with reality, but you know, with schizophrenia, the treatment process is a lot more involved.
1: Right. And um, you don't generally completely recover from that at all, right?
0: Right. And it it depends on, you know, the causes, how long you've been in that state, that kind of thing. But, um, you know, with schizophrenia, and as you get further into like the heavier mental health issues, It goes beyond just therapy and medication and, you know, alternatives, which is considered like exercise and doing that kind of stuff, but it goes into case management and like having somebody assigned to you every day to make sure that you're taking your medications and the very basic things like you and I take for granted every day, they need somebody to watch over them with doing. Wow. So. Very intensive. It is. And the other piece of that, though, is someone who's, you know, experiencing schizophrenia doesn't really understand that.
1: Oh, of course not.
0: You know, that connect is not always there. Hence, like, you're not connected to reality all the time. But they don't all the time understand why they have a case manager, why they have to do this. And that causes anger and then, and then lash out and, you know, all of these things.
1: Yeah, would you say that's probably one of the more most hard or the hardest to treat or one of the hardest to treat?
0: In a way, yes, because it's it's ongoing. It's long-term. It's, you know, not necessarily acute like you can have acute anxiety. Right. And and have certain things that manage it better. Like a lot of dealing with anxiety is, you know, they teach you breathing exercises and how to kind of physically take yourself out of it. But, you know, you can't, can't. tell schizophrenic to take a deep breath. It's not going to work that way. Right. So it's... It is different, and as you know, you get into heavier mental illnesses, the treatment is a lot more intense yeah. for that person for their families. Like that's something we can't really ignore. Here is the effect that these issues that you have as an individual have on your family and the people around you and the people that love you.
1: Right. Yeah. Because there are established systems and uh, just ways of living that don't work with someone that has a condition as severe.
0: Right, and I think the worst part of it is that it's proven that having a strong support system can help you get better in all of these issues. Right. But that support system tends to fall apart because your mental health is pushing it away.
1: Yeah, it's it's such a calamitous situation sometimes.
0: Yeah, it's really sad.
1: Um, But on a brighter note, you were mentioning exercise, and that piqued my interest. (laughs) Uh, So I actually did... A little bit of uh, research, like very small amount. Um, but I learned that one of the reasons that exercise will help, well, actually, before I get too far into that, will exercise help with uh, schizophrenia?
0: I mean, not in the way that it would help with depression, but...
1: Greater anxiety. I think you know, those, Physical
0: activity is always good regardless.
1: Yeah. I think those two in, uh, in association with exercise, depression and anxiety are the two most associated with benefits from exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has to do with the limbic system, which is part of the brain that actually um, manages your responses and emotions and behaviors uh, related to stimulus in your environment, uh, things that happen to you, related and particularly related to survival such as eating or fight-or-flight response. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're experiencing those things, that's controlled by your limbic system. Now, when you exercise, that actually greatly improves the function, well, I can't say greatly necessarily, but it'll improve the function of your limbic system uh, by means of increased blood flow, Mm -hmm. and just, uh, and so it'll give you a much better sense of well-being generally uh, when you exercise, Uh, and that's anything from gardening, walking, dancing, lifting weights, jogging, uh, and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think really any activity that just gets you moving and and kind of takes you out of the situation you're in, even if for like that brief five minutes you're doing it is works wonders. And people don't even think really appreciate the merit of it.
1: No, definitely not. Uh, Definitely. not. In terms
0: of mental health, especially.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Anything that gets you moving, like uh, walking is actually probably good enough. I mean, a lot of people say if even if you walk 20 minutes, like three times a week is enough to see benefits.
0: Walking is the most underrated exercise ever. In my opinion.
1: It re- I was just thinking that while I was doing this research, uh, not only just physically, but if you take a walk, you're just going to experience things that you wouldn't sitting there scrolling on TikTok.
0: Right. You become more present with, with everything around you.
1: Yeah. You become a little more grounded.
0: you trying to say something about me scrolling on TikTok? Yeah. Rude. <laughs> I
1: don't like TikTok.
0: like the ones I send you?
1: Yeah. I let you curate my TikTok experience.
0: How bougie of you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So we basically just kind of wanted to go over very briefly all of these things and really just kind of shine some light on it, I think was the most important part of it, because there's nothing to be ashamed about with mental health. There is no shame in having it. There's no shame in treating it. There's no shame in talking about it. And I mean, I'll say this for me, I, you know, I am, intrigued. I go to therapy every week, sometimes sometimes. I want to argue with my therapist sometimes I want to scream at her. And some days I'm like, you know what? You're absolutely right. I'm a hot mess. (laughs) But you know, it's, it's about doing the work and it's about being in it, the good days and the bad days. And that's something I feel like people kind of struggle with is, you know, when the good days are there, they're great. They're wonderful. And it's like, Oh, I feel so much better about this, but the bad days are, not easy there are times that you know after my session for that week i've had to just like cancel the rest of my day and and sit with myself and really think about what i just talked about and the feedback i got on it and really accept and understand somebody else's opinion on my mental health
1: to be clear though you don't regret those sessions never
0: right literally never even when i come out and i'm like fuck her (laughs) (laughs) i sit there and probably about an hour later i'm like oh do feel better though but that is also why and you are my witness to this because you are aware of this after almost every therapy session i do go right to the gym after that
1: yeah and that's admirable
0: it is way more therapeutic to like continue that process mentally while running on a treadmill Mm. than to just sit there and be mad or go back to whatever negative coping skill i've developed in my life
1: it's funny you say treadmill, because I know if I've uh, experienced like a down mood, if I'm sad um, or upset about something, I, I tend to edge more for cardio, like tr- <laughs> running. It's almost like you're running away from it or running through it or something. Yeah. I uh, like to think about it as running through it. Yeah. But. And uh, when I'm angry, that's mm-hmm. when I hit the weights. Or that's when it's better to do that. Like if I'm sad, I don't get as much out of lifting the weights as, uh, as, <laughs> as cardio, I got to admit.
0: Just picturing like a sad, weepy man. Mm. on a a, a bench (laughs) yeah. but you know this is a topic I also think that we need to continue generally like touching on and bringing up now and then just to remind people that it's okay it's okay to constantly talk about this it's okay to just say it even if you haven't had treatment and you're thinking about getting it talk about it right you know we I think in the and we'll give you again the information at the end of this episode but email us
1: Yep, we have the Even email if you address.
0: have a question, like perfectly fine. We're very open about it. And you know, that's also a piece of this platform is there are people in your life that you may not feel like you can talk to about this and you might not be ready for treatment and you just want to say, like, I'm struggling with this, you know, you'll hear back from us.
1: Yeah. Um obviously if we get a lot, it may take some time. <laughs> so don't expect an immediate response. But we're our email address is open twenty four seven.
0: Yes, it is. <laughs> how it works (laughs)
1: yeah not that we'll be looking at it 24 7 the intranet yeah so um our want to talk about the facebook page now or yeah
0: yeah
1: well we're uh we're on facebook uh it's (laughs) at rips reps revs or you can go to facebook.com slash rips reps revs if you want to use a browser to do so um we're on Podbean's hosting service so Uh, The website from that is ripsrepsrevs.podbean.com. And actually more of our contact information is available on Facebook. um, Mm -hmm. So that'll make it easier um, to get in touch with. We have our email address right on there. You can send us a Facebook message. We'll get those too. Uh, That's easy enough.
0: Um, And speaking of Podbean, that's where the resources are listed. If you guys don't feel comfortable yet reaching out, that's fine. Um, but you can find resources linked at the bottom of the Podbean webpage for finding treatment in your area. I mean, we are based in New York, so there is something on there specifically for New York. Um, but there are national hotline numbers listed. I think two of them actually, and a national registry, which you should be able to find a treatment center in every single state.
1: Oh, that's excellent.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, So I guess uh, that wraps up this episode. Right. Um, Thanks for joining us.
0: (laughs) And we will see you next time.